And as Justin referenced a little earlier, and I'm ringing a little bit on stage, guys. I don't know if that's just me. Hopefully it's not doing that anywhere else, but it's ringing a little bit. But as Justin referenced a little bit earlier, today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is the day seven Sundays after Easter every year. Some of you probably were aware of that. Others maybe not so much. Seven Sundays after Easter, we celebrate Pentecost Sunday to remember and commemorate and to celebrate... Uh, the day of Pentecost, which we will read about in a few minutes in Acts chapter 2. And that was the day after, 50 days after the death and burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus had sent his disciples to Jerusalem. He said, go to Jerusalem and tarry there and wait on the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit eventually did come. And, and we see cloven tongues of fire, divided tongues of fire come on them. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And some miraculous things happen again, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But we celebrate that and we remember that today. And we Try to look to see how that really connects to our lives and our heart. But to get there, I want to jump to a very unique, peculiar story in Scripture. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And uh, again, when we start reading this, some of you who you've been reading the Bible for a little while, you're going to go, how in the world are we going to get back to where I think we're headed? But if you'll hang with me, I'm hopeful that uh, all that God has prepared in my heart this week will Kind of come to uh, come about here in in our midst today, Genesis chapter eleven. I want to begin reading in verse one. Here's what it says: Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. That's good that it had the same words. If it's in the same language, that would be unique. If not, verse two. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen, uh, which is kind of like tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Verse seven, come, let us go down and there go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Verse eight. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. When I read this passage of scripture, I contend that this is one of the most confusing and often misunderstood passages in all of the Bible. And, and it, even as I read it again today, and I've read it throughout the week, and I read it a few weeks ago in preparation for today, and I've read it, I don't know, a couple dozen times maybe throughout just reading the Bible in my life. And, and every time that I read it, I still kind of struggle with what in the world is happening here. Why was God so almost maybe insecure, if you, if you read it in that context, why, why was God threatened by what they were doing? Why does God come down and intervene in this story? And why does he disperse them all over the earth? And why is there one language, now many languages, and he sends them to the earth? And, and as I read that, as I think, man, what in the world is happening here? But to really understand Genesis chapter 11, we need to drop back to Genesis chapter 8. So flip with me just a couple passage, a couple chapters over uh, previous to what we just read. Genesis chapter 8, we're going to read a couple verses, then we'll jump to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 8, beginning in verse 13, says this. This is at the very end of Noah and the ark. All right, so revert back to your children's church Sunday school days if you grew up in church world. Genesis chapter 8, verse 13. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, The waters were dried from off the earth. 
And Noah removed the cover of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Jump to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. So they're coming out of the ark. Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives are coming out of the ark now that the rain has subsided and the ground is now dry. The earth has dried out. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Verse 7. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. So today we're not going where some of you hope that I would go with those two verses. But where we are headed is understanding that at the end of Noah and the ark experience, at the end of the ground dries out, there is something that God commands Noah and his descendants to go and do. He says to Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, he says, go out, be fruitful, multiply, expand, reproduce on the earth, fill the earth. There's a job to do, because if you know anything about the story of Noah and the ark, the only thing that was saved on the earth as it relates to living creatures were the the things, the people, the animals on the ark. They were in a big boat. Everything else was flooded and destroyed because of the sin of the earth. They come off the ark, the ground dries out, they come off the ark, and God gives to Noah and his descendants a a, a project. He gives them a purpose. He gives them this idea, go, be fruitful, fill the entire earth with people. Okay? So understand that's the purpose that's taking place here. And then we get back to Genesis chapter 11 to this place where all the people have congregated together in one place with one language And they attempt now to build a tower in this one city. So instead of going to the ends of the earth, being fruitful and multiplying and filling the entire earth, what do they do? They go find a central place that they all like, and they're settling there in that one place. If you remember what we just read in Genesis 11, verse 1 and 2, it's not going to be on the screens, but it says, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they, the entire group of people that existed here, as they journeyed east... There they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. There's two groups of people in the world. There always have been. There are pioneers, and there are settlers. There are people who feel called and comfortable to go and and just pioneer new lands. Go out and create the future. There's nothing out there, and I'm going out there, and I'm going to create the future. And then there are settlers. There are people that go to the first comfortable spot they can find, and they stay right there. And if you look back in your own life and you look back in your family and you look back on the people that you know, you could probably identify those people in one or, the, or, one or either of those categories. You say, yeah, so-and-so in my family, they're, they're a pioneer. They're always dreaming up something new to do. They're always looking for a place to go, a new adventure. They, they're looking for something to kind of get the adrenaline going. They're going to do something exciting. They're going to, you know, chart new, they're starting a new business. They're an entrepreneur. They're investing in some company nobody's ever heard of. I mean, they're just, they're trying to chart new territory. Or, yeah, so-and-so or me, I, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I, maybe you look in yourself, you say, I'm a settler. I want to be comfortable. I want to find the land of Shinar and settle there. I want to find a plane that's comfortable and there's a bunch of people that I'm comfortable with and I don't want to go, you know, out there, out yonder looking and I don't know what I'm going to experience out there. But the land of Shinar looks good to me. I'm staying right here. And so you have pioneers and you have settlers. And so these people just hunkered down in one spot. And that's what's so wrong with the Tower of Babel. 
Because the Tower of Babel should never have taken place because there never should have been this congregation of all the people of the earth there with one language in one place because God had called them out of the ark to go and populate the entire extremities of the earth. Go out, be fruitful, fill the earth with people. So the first thing is they never should have been in Babel. They never should have been gathered together in one individual single place. They should have been spread out. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, sometimes we tend to do this same thing. Instead of listening to the voice of God, instead of listening to the direction of God, we kind of rely on our own wisdom. We say, well, it doesn't really make sense for us to spread out and just have three or four people living over here, five or six families living over here. Let's all stay together. There's safety in numbers. Let's stay together. That makes me think, let's stay together. No, let's not do that. So, you know, there's safety in numbers. Let's stay together. Let's all be together. That, that makes way more sense. God was probably just, he was thinking about something else. And I, you know, so this makes more sense. Let's do what we think is the better idea. Right? And I think that's probably where a lot of us find ourselves And so instead of what we read in verse four, because these people recognized it, they said, hey, let's stay here rather than being scattered. Verse four says, rather than being scattered all across the face of the earth. They made what God's original plan was sound like a bad idea. God says, be scattered, go be fruitful, multiply, go to the ends of the earth. And they said, no, we're going to stay here rather than that really negative, awful thought of being scattered across the face of the earth. They took what God intended to be the plan, and they made it sound like a bad idea because it wasn't their plan. That's really where you get the first wrong piece of this. So they ignored God's clear instructions in favor of their own wisdom. I think we do this a lot. The second thing about this people and this Tower of Babel and the city where they established themselves is they weren't building the tower. They weren't building the city for the glory of God. They were building it for the glory of themselves. If you read with us uh, when we read a second ago, verse three, it says, and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks. Let us burn them thoroughly. Let us take brick for stone and the tar they had for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. Listen to this. And let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Let us make a name for ourselves. So the ark was about the glory of God, the power of God to bring about righteousness on the earth. The only reason that Noah and his descendants were saved was because of his right standing, his upright standing before God. And so that turns into, let's make a name for ourselves. You know anybody like that? You know, you know anybody that instead of pursuing the glory of God lives to pursue the glory of themselves? You know anybody that takes the wisdom of God and shuns that to rely on the wisdom of themselves, takes the glory of God, which we've experienced here in these moments, and says, yeah, that's awesome, but I'm going to be about making a name for myself. And this is the context in which we see them building this tower. Now, does it make any more sense why God would come and intervene in this place? Because what you have is you have a people, and I think this relates very specifically to our day and time, that says, it's about us. It's about making a name for ourselves. It's about our glory. It's about our wisdom. It's about what we think is the best idea, which I think relates really well to us. 
in this present day. And then it brings about these questions. I mean, they're building this tower. They're building this thing. And in our lives, we're building some other things. But as we make a name for ourselves, or as we attempt to in some capacity, maybe it's not this, I want to be famous, but maybe just in, in an understanding of what we're building for ourselves, it comes to some questions like this. Am I purchasing this item, seeking this promotion, performing this service so that I might feel better about myself, attract attention to myself, live more comfortably for myself, or am I doing it for the glory of God? Have we taken any plans of God and pushed them aside, any of the wisdom of God's word and pushed it aside so that we say, no, 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 more specifically, I'm going to rely on my own wisdom. I'm going to lean into what I can, I can kind of formulate with my mind. And I think sometimes then we're left trying to figure out, wow, I can't figure out why nothing's going right. I can't figure out why the business deal flopped. I can't figure out why the relationship is soured. I can't figure out why the purchase didn't end up being as satisfying to me. And it may not turn out exactly like Babel did in your specific life, but I think sometimes we're not even willing to admit that maybe we're part of the cause of the problem. Maybe instead of seeking the wisdom of God and leaning into the wisdom of God and maybe being about the purpose of God and his purpose, we make it about ourselves, we make it about what we think the purpose is, about our own wisdom, and then when things go south, we tend to pass the buck, pass the blame. And so that's the context that we have of God intervening into the story of the Tower of Babel here. These people that are building literally what it would have been is a stairway to heaven. I mean, it would have been this pyramid type of structure, this beautiful piece of architecture that was like each level was another step up. They were attempting out of their own wisdom, their own devices, their own power to try to get to God. So now, out of that context, I want you to jump to Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bible, Acts is in the New Testament. We've been in the Old Testament. We've been at the beginning of the Old Testament. There's a whole other part to the Bible. It's the New Testament. We want to go there. And you have a couple of books right up front that are the Gospels. They're really the stories of the life of Jesus Christ. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And at the end of that, you have the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to start. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And this is really where the story of the day of Pentecost and what we celebrate today with Pentecost Sunday comes from. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven to sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse seven. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now, verse 9 and 10 mentions a lot of different people groups. Let's just call it Spanish and Chinese and Romanian. Here we go. Verse 11, because I'll butcher the other names that are listed there. Verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This is what we celebrate today. This spirit power of God descending upon the earth, descending upon upon the people of God, descending upon. This is kind of the birthday, as Justin referenced. This is the birthday of the church. This is the start of that. I'm 
kind of open to birthdays because today is my four-year-old's birthday. He turns four today, Tucker. And, and, and so I'm open to birthdays. Today is a birthday for us. We celebrate the power of God descending upon the people of God out of this scripture. And so there's two stories that we've read. And in each of these stories, we have people speaking the same language. Now, on the day of Pentecost, not everybody was speaking the same language, but you had people coming out of the upper room, out of the spirit-empowered move of God in the upper room, these divided or cloven tongues of fire descend and rest on each of them, and they come out and they begin speaking in other tongues. This is one of two ways that people speak in tongues, and in this, it's this miraculous move where these Galilean people come out of the upper room and they are speaking in the known languages of the world, but not a language that they've learned. So again, I can't speak Chinese at all. Couldn't even tell you the first Chinese word, okay? Unless egg roll. No, that's, that's the English translation, I think. So um, I can't speak Chinese. But if I were to stand before you today under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and begin speaking in Chinese, if anybody in the room speaks Chinese, you would be sitting there going, wow, how does Jeremy know Chinese? That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They began speaking in all these different languages. It says that men, all the nations of the world were represented in Jerusalem at that time because of the feast that was taking place. And so these people come out of the upper room and they begin speaking in all the languages that are represented there. Different people speaking that. And they're not just randomly talking. They're talking about the works of God, the mighty works of God. Verse 11 said, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were amazed Perplexed, saying to each other, what does this mean? And so we have here in this story, people speaking the same language. Again, not everybody in that moment was speaking the same language. But in Genesis 11, remember, they started one language, all the same words, right? So that's where they started. And I've just got a couple things here just for me as kind of looking at these two stories side by side. Genesis 11, they were unified around disobedience. Even though they spoke the same language, their unifying kind of the thing that was the glue holding them together was their disobedience of not going to the ends of the earth. So they were gathered together in disobedience to accomplish something. So Genesis 11, they were unified around disobedience. Acts chapter 2, they were unified around obedience. Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait there on the Holy Spirit. And so they're being in the same place, being unified, being together was around the obedience of following the words of Jesus Christ. And here's just something I wrote down just for me. Unity around disobedience is still disobedience. Like we strive for unity in a lot of things and unity is awesome. But unity around disobedience, like if we all decided today, hey, we're going to go out and rob a bank. There's a lot of us. Some of us are going to drive the getaway car. Some of us are going to, you know, we're going to go in. We're good with locks and picking locks. And let's don't do that, by the way. That would be a pretty bad reputation for our church and the community. But if we decided today that we're going to unify around this common purpose, this common goal, we're going to do that. We know that stealing's wrong. Disobedience is wrong. So even though we're unified, we, we could walk out here going, man, we are unified. We're like all in this together. I think that makes me think of a song again. But we're all in this together. Even being unified in that disobedience doesn't change the fact that it's disobedience. Like even though sometimes we strive more for unity than obedience, strive for obedience and then find other people who are obeying to unify with, right? Here's the next thing. Genesis chapter 11, these people had a common purpose for their name's sake, right? It said, hey, let's go build a tower. Let's build a big structure here and let's make a name for ourselves." They were unified. They had a common purpose for their name's sake. Acts chapter 2, they had a common purpose for his name's sake. For the sake of the name of God. Jesus told the disciples, he said, go and wait in Jerusalem. Wait on the Holy Spirit to come. 
The Holy Spirit came, they walked out of the upper room, and as they began proclaiming in the nations of the world the mighty works of God, they weren't doing it so people would look at them and go, wow, look at that guy, he's amazing. He's speaking a language he's never learned. No. They're asking, the people are asking, what does this mean? What's going on here? They're telling the story, and then Peter, this guy who had blown it, this disciple who, you know, he was the one that denied Jesus. We talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago on Easter. Seems like a couple weeks ago, maybe a month or two now. Peter steps up and he begins to proclaim the good news of the message of Jesus Christ. And he proclaims and preaches the gospel. And on that day, 3,000 people were added to the church that day. You know what Peter didn't do? He didn't stand up and say, look at me. He stood up and he said, look at Jesus. Let me tell you about this guy. The purpose that they were unified around was for the sake of the name of God. Not for the sake of their names. And so the second thing that I wrote down here, other than unity around disobedience is still in, oh, disobedience. The second thing here is the wrong common purpose is still wrong. The wrong common purpose is still wrong. It doesn't matter if we decide we all have the same common purpose. If it's a wrong purpose, if it's disobedience, it's something that we, we're trying to make it about ourselves. We're trying to make it about something other than the glory and the power of God. It's still wrong. And so there's a lot of ways we could go in looking at this to see how, how do we apply this to our lives? What's the application here? What is it if we read, you know, the Tower of Babel, we read about this crazy story in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, and we read about, you know, the day of Pentecost, which I still don't quite understand, maybe. What is it that we can pull from these two stories that applies to our life? And I think there's some very, very specific things, and I want you to hang with me just for a moment, and then we're going to do something pretty cool as a response to this. The church likes to congregate together. This is kind of a soapbox issue for me. We talk about this from time to time. The, so, the, the church loves to just get together. We just come together. Like we, just, we don't need an excuse to get together, but we just gather. We're going to gather on Sundays. We've got life groups, home groups that gather together. We have Bible studies that gather together. We have a student event on Wednesday nights that gathers together. We have children's ministry stuff that gathers together. We just get together to eat for no reason. Like we just eat and, hey, we're the church. We're just together eating. And I love that. That's awesome. But the church loves to congregate and gather together. When it appears to me throughout Scripture that God is calling us to spread out. If you read Genesis 11, he was calling them to the ends of the earth. And they found a place to settle. He was calling them to be pioneers and they long to be settlers. And I think if I search my heart, I only want to pioneer so much until I get out of the wagon and I build a place for my family to live. But I think as it relates to the message of the gospel, we're called to continually push forward and to push and pursue to the ends of the earth the plans and the purpose of God. Another thing that I see here is that Babel was a place to look inward. It was a place to gather together. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build this really great big tower. And God is continually calling us through the day of Pentecost, not to look inward, but to look outward. I think Pentecost Sunday is a great reminder for us not to just look at the church, not to just look at ourselves, but to look out to those we know who need to experience the power of God. God's command to the descendants of Noah had to do with relationship, be fruitful and multiply. Their action led to this fracturing of the relationships of humanity. Because if you remember, this started with one family. And eventually the descendants of that family began to be fractured and sent to the extremities of the earth. 
Ultimately, God's plan and purpose was ultimately fulfilled anyway because they went to the ends of the earth. But their disobedience led to this fracturing of relationships and they were split up and they were spread apart. Jesus' command to his disciples was to go to Jerusalem and the Spirit came and the language of the world were reconciled together through the power of God. So you have two responses here to people. You have the people in Genesis 11 who gathered together, stayed together outside of the purpose of God and ultimately there was a fracturing of those relationships. You have the people of Acts chapter 2 who gathered together in Jerusalem because of the commands of Jesus Christ, seeking the ultimate purpose of the Father. And instead of being fractured, they were sent on purpose to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1.8 says it like this, to be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It all boils down to this. Here's the big idea for today. The work of God is always about reconciliation. The work of God is always about reconciliation. Reconciling things that are broken. If you think about it, the predominant, the the meta-narrative of Scripture, meta-narrative means that even though there's little narratives all throughout the book, there's one ultimate overarching narrative of the entire Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. What's the meta-narrative? The meta-narrative of Scripture in Jeremy's opinion, is the reconciling of man back to God. From the very beginning of the book of Genesis, you see man choosing their own path in the garden, fracturing the relationship that they have with God, creating a chasm where sin fills that chasm and separates them from the Father. And then if you can read into the stories that we read through the rest of Scripture, it is about the reconciliation of man back to God. What does the end of the book tell us? Revelation at the end of the New Testament tells us that ultimately God wins. Ultimately, the people of God are reconciled back to the Father because of the stories that took place between Genesis 1 and the end of the book of Revelation. The hinge in that entire story is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent to earth by the Father according to John 3.16 because the Father loved you and me. And he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to help do what? keep anybody who would believe in him from ever being separated from the Father. It says, for those who believe would not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. They would have the opportunity to believe in God and be reconciled back to the Father for the remainder of time. It is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that shows to us that the work of God is always about reconciliation. In Genesis chapter 11, we see a people who were supposed to go and be on the mission of God to the ends of the earth. Instead, they chose to do it their own way, and there is a fracturing again of humanity. There's a fracturing again where the people of God that had gotten off mission, off the mission and purpose and plan of God, they're split apart. They're separated from what God had called them to do. And so they're separated. They give different languages and they go to the ends of the earth speaking different languages. There's now a fracturing of relationship. And what we commemorate today with the day of Pentecost is the work of reconciliation of the Father. Because every nation, according to Acts chapter 2, every nation of the world was represented in Jerusalem. And guess what? On this day, the message of Jesus Christ was preached in every language that God created in Genesis 11. 
Think about that. Every nation of the world was represented in Acts chapter 2. And the people come out of the upper room speaking in the languages. Where were the languages originated in Genesis chapter 11 when God dispersed them all over the face of the earth? Gave them new languages. And so before when you had, and I'll just be arrogant, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant or whatever it is I learned in history. English speaking, everybody in the world, just because that's the easy context for all of us to understand. And then in Genesis 11, everybody goes off and they're speaking Spanish and Chinese and all these other languages. And then on the day of Pentecost, they're reconciled together because someone is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in their language. Tells us about the nature of God. To me, it speaks to us about our lives and our stories. Because if you're anything like me, there's brokenness in your life. There's broken relationships. There's broken purpose. There's a sense that, man, what I thought I was supposed to be about has never materialized like I thought it was going to. There's a sense that the people that I said I loved walked away from me. The people who said they loved me walked away from me. They hurt me. They caused great harm to me. Where I thought I was investing in being a good steward of God's resources that he had entrusted to me. The financial resources he had given to me and blessed me with. It's gone. I I don't even know where it went. There's brokenness in there. I'm not sure how it even got there. The job that I loved with all of my heart. They walked in and said they didn't need me anymore. There's brokenness there. It's in that context. It's in that language. Whatever language speaks to that place of brokenness the day of pentecost is able to proclaim to you in that language that the work of god is always about reconciliation that the broken relationship that caused you harm it might possibly be one step in the fulfillment of the promises of god to be fruitful and multiply and to repopulate the earth to expand the gospel, the good news to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It could be that the place that you were so wrapped up in work, that even though you loved it, that now you have time for God to do something else in you for his purposes. It could be that the money, the financial resources, the things that you thought were such a blessing in your life may not have been able to fulfill all that God needed you to do with and in and through your life. So now there's an opportunity for you to refocus and reprioritize and see where you go with the time and the energy and the resources that you still have in your hands. The work of God is always about reconciliation. So, final question. I've asked a lot of them today, but as we kind of conclude with this, I'm going to ask the band to come. What am I building with my life? What am I building with my life? What is it that I am doing with my life? Am I building a tower out of disobedience that was birthed in disobedience to raise up my name? Maybe it's not a literal tower. Maybe it's not a stairway to heaven, I think, which is another song. Maybe it's not any of those things. But maybe there's something that I'm doing in my life, with my life, with my hands, that if I boil it down to kind of the foundational piece of what that actually is, it is not the plans and purposes of God. And it's not for the glory of God. It's relying on my wisdom. And it's for the glory of my name. What is it that I am building with my 
life? And is that about the purposes and the plan of God? And then the last question is this. What is it that I need the power of God to reconcile in my life? If what we've heard today is true, and that the work of God is always about reconciliation, if the entire scriptures that you and I hold in our hands from time to time, whether it's this or whether it's this, if the scriptures that we hold in our hands say to us that the entire story of God's word is to show us that God believes in reconciliation, then in your life, what needs to be reconciled? Is it a broken marriage? Is it a broken relationship? A broken relationship with your kids? Is it broken finances? Is it brokenness in your work? Is it brokenness in your home? Is it brokenness in your relationship with God? What is it that God in his power, in his might, in the spirit of God that we welcomed into this place earlier, what is it that we need that spirit, that power, that God to reconcile in our hearts? Because let me promise you today, he can do it. He wants to do it. It's really what his work is always about. Reconciling man back to the father. And so here's some things. It may be that as you look at reconciliation in your broken marriage, it may not be that you start with the spouse. It may be that you start with you and the father. It may not be that as you look to reconcile relationship with your parents or your children, that you start with them. It could be that you start with you and the father. It may not be that when you look to reconcile your finances, that you start with the bank. It could be that you start with your heart and the father. It could be that instead of starting with the job that you love, that you lost and trying to find another job, Instead of starting with the job websites or the classified section or the recruiter, it could be that you start with your heart and the Father. And you say, God, if you're truly about reconciliation, I desire reconciliation. I desire for the brokenness, the fracturing that's taken place in my world, maybe through my own mistakes or maybe not. I desire for restoration there, reconciliation there. And so as I do that, I want to start with me and you. And I'm going to ask you to perform your work in my life. In the lives of those around me. As we conclude this moment, what we're going to do is we're going to take communion together. I'm going to ask the host to prepare to wait on you in just a moment with communion. And and what communion is, for those of you that may not be aware, communion is the opportunity we have to reenact a moment that Jesus had with his disciples at the conclusion of his life. Communion is about these little wafers or crackers that we have to represent the bread that Jesus broke with his disciples. There's also a cup of juice that we take to represent the blood of Jesus Christ spilled on the cross. We're going to come back in a moment and really talk about that briefly out of what Jesus did with his disciples. But let me just tell you how this fits in what we've been talking about. You will hold in your hand the representative elements of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. The only reason that you can hold the body and the blood is because the body and the blood were broken apart on the cross. The body of Jesus Christ was broken down on the cross. The blood was spilled out on the cross. Why was it done? It was done because Jesus had to be broken for you to be put back together. Jesus had to be broken on the cross 
for your marriage to come back together. Jesus had to be broken on the cross for your finances to come back together. Jesus had to be broken on the cross for the fracturing of our lives to be made whole again. Because the work of God is always about reconciliation. I'm going to pray. They're going to disperse the elements while the band leads us in worship. Please hold the elements until we all come back together to take it. God, we thank you so much that you are a God of reconciliation, that you are a God who brings together things that have been broken. And so God, in this moment, as we hold these elements over the next few minutes, I pray that we would understand that your brokenness on the cross, Jesus, allows for wholeness in our lives. We thank you for the work of the cross. We pray that you would do that work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. God, we reflect now in this moment the elements that we've taken on the work of your son, Jesus, on the cross. We take these elements and we understand that it's just a cracker, wafer, substance of some kind. It's just juice in a cup. But for some of us today, it represents a lot more than that. Because the brokenness of your son on the cross allows for wholeness in our lives. The day of Pentecost is not just looking back to a moment of Holy Spirit empowerment to speak in tongues. It's about speaking in the languages that originated in brokenness in Genesis 11. And it speaks to us about the power of reconciliation available through the power of God. And so today, God, in the people's lives that sit in this room, those who may be listening on our podcast at some future date, God, right now, I speak life into them. I speak life into dead places. I speak speak wholeness into brokenness. And God, we call on the power of your Holy Spirit. We call now on the power of a God whose work is always about reconciliation to restore and reconcile in places of brokenness in our lives. And we thank you, God, that you're a God that loves us and that you're a God that we can trust in Even when sometimes it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. We trust. We have faith in the unseen. We believe in the things that we can't always make sense of because we know that you have our best in mind. So God, right now we lean into you and we pray for your purposes to be realized in our lives. We pray for your wisdom and your plans to live and rule and reign through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.